What can get us to a place where in the depths of our souls we can give thanks forever? Could it be a favorite cook will cook every meal for you for the rest of your lives? Maybe no more winter or humidity in Wisconsin. Would that make you praise and give thanksgiving forever? Maybe Jordan Love taking us back to the Super Bowl. Would that cause you to give thanks forever? What can get you to a place where in the depths of your soul you can give thanks forever? U2 tells a story. They were traveling throughout the southeastern United States before they were doing the Rattle of Hum album because they were trying to get to know some of the you know, rock musicians, country musicians that made American, American music so unique. And they had dinner at Johnny Cash's place outside of Nashville. And before dinner, uh, Johnny Cash prayed. A very poetic, beautiful prayer of thanks. And when he said amen, he realized as he looked at Bono and Edge and the different musicians in U2 that they were kind of just in shock by this beautiful prayer. And knowing that they might have felt a little bit uncomfortable, he said, I sure do miss the drugs, though. (laughs) Of course, they laughed. And Bono was commenting how, you know, Johnny Cash... He was showing that his prayer came from a place of grace, a place of God's provision in his life. So I'm going to answer the question for us today here at the beginning. So if you're going to hear anything, hear this. What enables us to give thanks to God forever? It is that by his mercy, he has rescued us from the pit And he's turned our mourning into dancing. What enables us to give thanks to God forever? That by his mercy, he has rescued us from the pit. And he's turned our mourning into dancing. You know, we've said the Psalms are the hymn book, right, of the church. And I think it would be fitting this morning... That instead of just reading Psalm 30, I'm going to have this team sing Psalm 30. Okay? So let's hear the word of God in song as we hear Psalm 30 this morning. Please, please pay attention to God's word as it's sung. And you can follow along. I know the words of the song are a little bit different than the ESV version, but it is the psalm. Oh! 
the Lord. As we're going through the Psalms this summer again, this is a thousand years of Israelite history. It's poetry about a relationship with God. It is written for worship for Israel, for songs to sing. I like to call it Israel's mixtape. I might be dating myself when I say a mixtape nowadays, right? Your Spotify playlist. How's that sound, right? It's a mixtape with different tunes, right? You get songs of wisdom, like Psalm 1. We started at the beginning. You get Psalm 2, like a royal psalm. It's a, a rousing melody, right? You can think of a grand orchestra or a great production about the greatness of God. You get psalms of praise, psalms that orientate yourself to respond to God and how amazing He is. Psalms of lament, disorientation, that you don't know what's up or what's down and you're hanging on to just anything and you're just trying to get back to a place of God. Psalm of lament, of disorientation. And then you get a psalm like today, Psalm 30, a psalm of thanksgiving, a mixture of both praise and lament. It's not orientation to who God is all. It's not disorientation of where you are, but it's both orientation and disorientation to be reoriented to who God is, renewed in your hope of what God has done. I see it as like a struggling, struggling like biographical song. You know, that's rich in American history, especially in American folk music and American rock and bluegrass. Think of James Taylor or Bob Dylan or Johnny Cash singing about how their life has been a struggle and a mess and how they've found hope and joy in the midst of that. Songs of reorientation. Here's the thing about a psalm of thanksgiving. You know, we could just write out a list of the things that we're thankful for, and the psalmist could just do that, but it's more than that. A psalm of thanksgiving, what it wants to do is it wants to shape us, our mind, our emotions, our very will, to a place of thankfulness. You know, I can teach my girls, and I teach our girls to say please and thank you all the time after certain things and make sure, make sure you say thank you and they say thank you and they do that, you know, when we prompt them. But there is nothing like hearing a thank you from them without it being prompted. <laughs> that it's coming from their hearts, their little hearts, from their souls. And that's what the psalm wants us to do. To give thanks from our very soul, like this one, are thanks that will last forever. Here's the thing. You know, we go through narrative and epistles and different genres in the scriptures, which are great. But the psalms, they don't force us to just talk about God. The psalms force us to talk to God. It's a big difference, okay? 
Today, we can just talk about God, but no, the psalm wants to get us to a place where we talk to God. And that's our hope in going through the psalms this summer, that it will drive you to the Lord. The psalmist starts in verses 1 through 3 that he clearly shows that he's thankful to God because God has healed him. He uses this image of being drawn from the well. You can imagine being in a deep, deep well. That would be a very, very dangerous place. And the image is that he's being drawn out of the well, as Adrian talked about earlier. That is what the psalmist is talking about. He was close to death. Sheol is the idea of death. And here he's having this honest dialogue about where he has been and what God has done. It's really an honest dialogue that Israel has had through its history with the Lord. I mean, here Israel is God's promised people that he loves and he cares for, and he's promised to partner with them and to protect them. We use that language of covenant. And he's made that covenant with the people of Israel, and we see through like Abraham and Moses, Moses and Jacob and Isaac and all these different characters that they don't keep their end of the bargain, and many times they are at that place of going to the depths of Sheol, right? And here's the thing about the covenant that God made with his people. He made it in blood. It's, a, it's one to the death. If you don't keep your promise, you will die. And here, the psalmist is face to face with that reality. That reality that he has not kept his end of the bargain, his end of the covenant, his promise, and he is close to death. But he's saying he, God is faithful even when the psalmist is not faithful, even when Israel is not faithful. God is faithful to rescue his people, to rescue the psalmist. We mentioned Johnny Cash a lot. If you don't know Johnny Cash, you know, the, the writer of Folsom Prison Blues, uh, sung the song Hurt, I Walk the Line, God's Gonna Cut You Down. I mean, he's got all these famous songs, right? Kind of part of Americana music, country music mixed with rock music. And Johnny Cash, he kind of lived this kind of psalmist life close to that place, that place of despair and death and being in the pit. And if you've ever followed Johnny Cash, you realize one of his signatures is always wearing black, right? People are always asking, why are you obsessed with death, Johnny Cash, because you're always wearing black? And he said this to that. He says, I'm obsessed with living. I'm obsessed with the battle against the dark one and clinging to the right one. It's what my life is all about. See, he wore dark because he knew what it was like to be in the pit and then to be redeemed and saved and that God is the one that removed that and took him out of his mourning. But he was always there and the struggle was there but he rejoiced in who the Lord is and was. 
You know, I used to have to really argue for that idea of being in the pit or being close to death. Like, that's something that we run away from in American culture a lot, right? But I've noticed with COVID and with facing a pandemic, all of us were faced with our mortality. I'm sure all of us, maybe I'm just talking to myself, but I think almost all of us have that thought in our mind, could this take me? What if I get it? And I die from it. And it made people start to think about their mortality. Maybe it makes you think about other things that make you down into the pit. At the end of your rope, it comes to money or relationships. And in that place, whether you're afraid of getting this pandemic, or you're worried about money running out, worried about a relationship not working out, being at the end of the rope, you cry out to a greater king, help me, save me. For many of us, right, you know, we should be thanking God that he has preserved us, that he has saved us, that we are here still today. The question is, does that thankfulness, is it one that lasts forever? Do you know that you have been rescued from the pit? And because of that, you can give thanks to God is. I wonder where our thankfulness comes from. Thank you, God, for giving me more than that guy over there. Thank you, God, for giving me parents that gave me a good start. Thank you, God, for giving me a job. Thank you, God, for giving me kids. Thank you, God, for giving me a respite from work once in a while. But is that thankfulness one that can sustain you forever? See, the psalmist doesn't want him to just see that. He wants Israel to see it too, right? So you see in verses 4 through 7, it transfers from him talking to himself to God, and now he's trying to get the people to respond. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints. Not just talking about dead people. He's talking about the covenant community. And give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. He's wondering if the hardships that they face, the difficulties that Israel might face, his people might face, will that cause them to walk away from the Lord? Will they come under his authority? Will they admit he is good? He is worthy to be praised. Are they willing to admit that, you know what, it might be hard for a moment, for the short term, but it's nothing compared to the long-term love and hope and joy that comes with the Lord. Even if it is hard, 
even if it is difficult. The Lord is worthy to be praised because he delivers his people. John Cassidy professes his belief in Christ at age 12. But then he wrote that by 1967, there was nothing left of me. I had drifted so far away from God and every stabilizing force in my life that I felt there was no hope. So what did he do? He decided to crawl into a cave, <laughs> literally a depth, a pit, on the Tennessee River, and he said, I'm just going to get lost in this cave and die. He said, the absolute lack of light was appropriate. My separation from him, the deepest and most ravaging of the various kinds of loneliness I'd ever felt over the years, seemed finally complete. But it wasn't. I thought I had left him, but God hadn't left me. I felt something very powerful start to happen to me. A sensation of utter peace, clarity, and sobriety. Then my mind started focusing on God. I became conscious of a very clear, simple idea. I was not in charge of my own destiny. I was not even in charge of my own death. You might not be going after drugs or fame or alcohol, but I think here in the valley we do have an inattention to God. That our busyness can keep us away from him. The amount of energy and time we spend caring for our family, maintaining appearance, and we're thankful as long as these things stay in their orbit. But then when God hides his face, it gets our attention, right? Or maybe when we realize this inattention to him leads to problems. Maybe it's bursts of anger towards your family. Maybe it's you having to just remove yourself from people for long periods of time because you're struggling so much. Maybe it's burnout. Maybe it is drinking too much. Things hit us like there's another repair I have to pay for on the car. Our air conditioning goes out. There's struggles with the family. These things hit, and they hit us. And all that inattention from God just comes pounding on us that we feel like we are in the depths. I wonder, is our thankfulness to God only when he holds things in our own orbit? And see, that's what the psalmist then does in verse 6 and verse 7. He goes from praising God from what has happened to getting other people to praise, and then he goes back to the future of where he was at. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was 
dismayed. You see, the psalmist's orbit is starting to come on. He's realizing that his self-confidence, his prosperity, all that he had was not, did not work once God hid his face from him. The very mixture of the Hebrew words here um, of prosperity used in this kind of order shows that this is a wrong confidence to have. It doesn't fit a life living by God's provision. And that's how the psalmist was living. And once God hid his face from him, then he was dismayed. One of the highlights of our whole year as a family is this. Aaron and I save up money. We take time to get to this place. We do all this thing to get there. We go to Mackinac Island one day a year as the family, and we ride our bikes around, and we have ice cream and all these things, and then we get to have dinner on the island, which is a really, really special treat. And the amount of work that Aaron and I do to save money, to get packed up, all these things to get to that place, right? That we got to just look at each other in that place and be like, man, God, you are just good to get us there, right? Imagine one of my kids, when we were there at dinner, said, you know, everyone, you're welcome. What if one of our girls said that? You know what? You're welcome. Aaron and I would probably look at each other and go, what? Are you crazy? The thing is, that's how many of us think about our world. We deserve the privilege. We deserve what we have. That's what we deserve. Not death. Not being separated from God. We deserve all of his blessings. Do you realize all that we have is because of his grace? Because of his care? Because of his love? And then when he hides his face, it just gives us a glimpse of what it would be if he was removed from this world. It really is his grace that sometimes he shows that to us. To see how much he is there, how much he has given us. And that is what the psalmist then experiences. This lament is so good. Verses 8 through 10 are so good. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. I love what Derek Kidner says about the Psalms. God knows how we speak when we are desperate. It's so honest. If anyone says to you, I, you know, Christianity isn't, it's just foreign for me, it's different for me, they have not read the Psalms. 
This is the human condition. The crying out, the where are you? The frustration, the being in the pit, God, where are you? Help me. God knows. It's written right here. Those emotions, that depth. I was on a plane trip next to a man. We're talking about COVID. He said for 17 days he was in the hospital on his stomach fighting for his life. And he talked about his crying out to God, just sucking in breath to live. His desperation from the Lord. See, the psalm echoes this. I know some of you have been there. Some of you have been in the hospital with COVID and you wondered if you were going to get out of the hospital or not or you're going to die there. Some of you might not have been that, but you've been in marriage desperation that has been so bad. Economic situations in your household that you feel like you are in the pit. A child that is struggling so much that it just, it just eats away at you. The psalmist knows. God knows. If you're honest, like talking to this guy and about being in that place, or maybe you being at that place, many times the things you say to God is, God, why? Why have you put me here? You do your thing up in heaven while I suffer. While my child suffers, my, my loved one dies, while I face death myself, where are you? This is the beauty of seeing the Psalms through the New Covenant. But these words don't just mirror our emotions, our experiences. These words actually mirror God's words himself. Read what Jesus says in Gethsemane. Read what Jesus says on the way to the cross. Read what Jesus says on the cross. To you, Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. See, the richness of this psalm is there's one that has gone to the pit. There has one that has gone to Sheol. There is one that has gone to the depths of separation for God. And that is Jesus himself. And you see, when you see that 
God did that himself. He faced that himself to a greater extent than we ever will have to. You see why the psalmist and why we can respond like this in verses 11 through 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. We can dance and rejoice because we have seen one that has conquered death. We have seen one that has actually gone from death to resurrection life. And he said, you can participate with me in this dancing. And you can sing with me forever. Yes, death will catch us all. And we will all face the consequences of our sin. But we can all look in hope, truly, eternally, that our mourning can turn to dancing. That we can be clothed with gladness. In verse 12, that my glory, it's just amazing. The psalmist is saying, my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. We are given the glory of Christ because of his death and resurrection. That is the glory we can sing with. That is the glory that will be able to let us praise forever. You know, 1956 is when Johnny Cash actually recorded Folsom Prison Blues. There had been a movie about Folsom Prison and he had written it for the movie and really the song was not a hit at all. It had been 10 years since that song was written. He had gone through his alcoholism, drugs, he'd been in jail, the cave experience, and then God had rescued him and his morning had turned to dancing. And he had met with Billy Graham and he told Billy Graham, I want to become a preacher. And Billy Graham said, no, Johnny, just keep singing those songs of being an outlaw. Those are truly gospel songs. And what Johnny Cash ended up doing, he had never gone. He went to Folsom Prison to minister to the inmates. And after ministering from them in a while, for a while, on January 13th, 1968, he decided to record an album at Folsom Prison and sing that song that he had written many years earlier. Here's some lyrics from this song that Johnny sang to these inmates. I'm stuck in Folsom Prison. And when I hear that whistle blowing, I I hang my head and cry. I bet there's a rich fool eating from a fancy dining car there, probably drinking coffee and smoking big cigars. I know I had it coming. 
I know I can't be free. Well, if they freed me from this prison, if that railroad train was mine, I'd move it further down the line, far from Folsom Prison. That's where I'd want to say, to stay and let that lonesome whistle blow my blues away. Here's the thing. When that song was sung to the prisoners, that's when it became a hit. Because you know what happened? Much of the guards say, don't let them sing along. Don't let them stand. Don't let them do any of those things. Johnny said, no, I'm going to let them do what they want to do. And they sang, and they danced, and they were raucous. Morning into dancing. Do you see? See, this is our gospel song. He's freed us from the pit. He's freed us from our chains. He's turned our mourning into dancing forever. That no matter where you are, that you can sing his praises forever. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning.